seated. All right. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Jeremiah 33. Jeremiah 33 is the text we're going to be in this morning. All right. Good morning, Harvest. Excited to be with you guys, man. Super pumped. Had a great time the first hour. And uh, you guys got to help me preach this sermon, all right? We're talking about prayer. And there's no prayer experts in here, so we're all going to be uh, wrestling with this text this morning and just excited to get into it. Now, if you're new to Harvest, there should be, if you don't have a Bible next to you, just go ahead and there should be one next to you underneath a chair somewhere. And go and grab that Bible. And if, it's, if you don't have one, take this, make it your own, write your name in it. It's our gift to you. And uh, go ahead and turn, I believe, to page 662 in the, in the Bible underneath your chair. That'll be where Jeremiah's at. It's kind of in the middle of the Bible, so... All right, we're in the middle of a series that we're unpacking for our church, really what the four pillars are of Harvest Bible Chapel. And uh, the last uh, two weeks, we've been talking about the first two pillars, um, and today we're going to talk about the third one. Uh, but basically, these four pillars, they will never change. This is who we are as a church. These four things are so foundational to us as a church uh, that it helps us to really stay vertical um, as, a, as a church. And one of the things that we are very passionate about, as you heard Pastor Brock talk about, is this idea of fulfilling the Great Commission. God called us to be his church. Remember Jesus said, um, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Um, so the, it's just, if, it's, if we're going to do church, we're going to do it Jesus' way. So we want to make sure we're doing it according to what he, he described in, his, in the word, which means we got to be committed to being a church that is focused on God's glory. Number one, he's the one we're here for. We're going to get everyone in the room to get our eyes off of us and onto him. Um, and as we do that, we're committed to becoming disciples. We want to be disciples and we want to be disciple makers. And as Brock alluded to earlier, the way we do that is by worshiping, to, worshiping Christ together in community. And then we, we, we walk with Christ uh, together in small groups during the week. And then we work for Christ together, shoulder to shoulder, carrying weekly responsibilities um, just for the glory of God. That's what we want to be about. However, these four pillars are established in such a way that will help us stay vertically focused as we fulfill that mission. So the first pillar we talked about was this unapologetic preaching. Um, this is where we proclaim the authority of God's word without apology. Like, this book is alive. This thing is powerful. It transforms lives. Um, how many of y'all, have, you, have, have your lives changed by the word of God? Say Amen. Okay, that's about everybody up in this place, I'm telling you. It's a powerful book. In fact, the Bible describes itself by saying it's a living, breathing book. Man, that's crazy talk right there, man. That's like stranger things right there. Um, but anyway, so this is a powerful reality. So then we go from unapologetic preaching. That means no matter who stands up here, the one thing that we're all going to do is we're going to proclaim, thus says the Lord. It's not about the messenger. It's about the message. This book, it's God's word. He's the authority. My words are just a bunch of air, but his word is powerful. Um, so we're going to proclaim the authority of God's word without apology. The second pillar that we are dead set on, they're not going to move, is this unashamed adoration. We are going to worship Christ, lift him high through worship every time we gather together. Uh, Christ is seated high above the universe. He is, he is Lord of all, like we just sang and one of the most amazing things to me is that whenever we ascribe worth to God, not necessarily just describe God or describe who God is, but when we ascribe worth to God and we bring glory to God, God inevitably brings his glory down to us. And that's what makes this place so special. 
Because every week when we're committed to being a church that is that believes firmly in unashamed adoration, I'm not looking over to my right. I'm not looking to my left. I know I look like a crazy man in here every time I come in here and worship. But I'm not here for you. I'm here for him because he's changed my life and he's going to continue to make me into a better man into the image of Christ. That's the goal, baby, and I'm pursuing that. So that's the second pillar. Today we're talking about the third pillar, this unceasing prayer. Now, this is a hard one. This is one of the most uh, wiggly pillars, if, if we're not too careful, that we have to really make, come back to over and over again to make sure it's strong and secure and, and uh, shored up. So um, we're going to get into this Jeremiah 33 passage of Scripture. But whenever I talk about prayer, let me just ask you this. When we talk about prayer, how many would agree with me that prayer is often one of the most uh, talked about and least practiced aspects of the Christian life? How many are like that? All right, yeah, see, that's, I'm not the only one, okay? We're all, we're all struggle with that same thing. In fact, I heard recently that if you ever want to know how to embarrass a mature Christian, it's just ask them how their prayer life is. Woo, yeah, that's, that, that hurts. It's because it's real. This is a wiggly thing. Um, you know, it it's, uh, reminds me of when I'm going to the holidays. Uh, I used to, you know, we work out as a staff. You heard me talk about that in the past. Um, but when the holiday season comes, everybody puts everything on hold. Everything goes on hiatus, and we just gorge. Does anybody actually love desserts in here? You love chocolate chip cookies? Come on, people. Now, I didn't say this last hour, but I, I probably shouldn't say it this hour. Um, but uh, my wife makes no-bake cookies. You guys know what no-bakes are? Yeah, I think that's the biggest waste of a dessert right there I've ever heard of. Come on. If you're going to go through all the work of making no-bakes, just bake a cookie, you know? But anyway, so she loves making no-bakes, but I mean, I pigged out during the holidays. Um, so, what, so the jeans I used to fit in very comfortably um, somehow uh, don't feel so comfortable right now um, because of some extra hindrances in the way. Um, so the truth is, it's kind of like I know I should exercise. I don't need another scale in the home to tell me I need to exercise so that I can get back into shape, right, and fit into the jeans I used to fit in. But let's be honest, that's how prayer is. You don't need another message or another preacher to come up here and tell you that you need to be powerful, you need to pursue powerful prayer life and, and really turn up the dial on your passion for prayer. You know you should do that. But like me, what we lack the most is motivation. We need motivation to pray. And the text we're getting ready to read today is like the grand Pumba of all prayer verses. Like this, this one reference, one little verse we're going to really focus in on today is so jam-packed with some heart-riveting inspiration that will make you get up out of your seat and just say, yes, Lord, do that. That's what we're going to talk about today. And this is a wonderful verse filled with promises. And God is saying, we must pray. We must be a church that prays. And with that in mind, I'm going to go ahead and just go ahead and read the passage to you. And we'll go ahead and start reading in verse number one of uh, Jeremiah 33. And we'll get right into it. So, Verse number one says, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time while he was still shut up in the court of the guard. Thus says the Lord, this is God speaking to him, thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it to establish it, the Lord is his name. Call to me and I will answer you and I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known, that you have not even begun to imagine I will do. So good, man. This is such a rich text. Let's spend some time praying and asking God to make this text grip our souls in a way that we have been longing for. 
for a long time. Lord, I just pray, we pray as a church family, we would all admit, God, in one way or another, we need to have a better perspective of who you are. God, we want our hearts to be gripped by this powerful truth. We want to leave here hungry to see you do amazing things in our lives. We ask that you will meet us in this building right now. Walk up and down the rows of this place and speak to our hearts in a way that only you can. God, we're asking for your glory to be manifested in a beautiful way and allow our faith to explode in our hearts for you and more of you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let me give you some background. As we get into this book of Jeremiah, I don't just want to drop us in and kind of unpack this without really explaining what's going on here. Um, In this text, the guy who wrote this book is Jeremiah. He was one of the major prophets of the Old Testament. It's an incredible guy, but he happened to be ministering during a time of Israel, God's chosen people, during a time of their rebellion and their rejection of God. Like, they just wanted nothing to do with God. See, during that time, there were all these other little gods that were popping up that people were worshiping. And so God, Jehovah God, that, that, that Jeremiah represented, that spoke on his behalf, he was just like another God amongst, amongst many. So these people who grew up in, in Israel, it's like, just get away. I mean, he's like my great, great, great grandpa's God. I mean, come on, I got all these other new gods, and I, I just want to pursue them. And I want to, they're more accessible. And so they were turning their hand to God and just walking away, and Jeremiah is warning them, weeping over them, asking them, come back to God. You have to come back to him. He's the only God. There is none other than him. And if you don't repent and come back to him, you are going to be held captive. You're going to be literally made to become slaves of a foreign country, nation of Babylon. And they just, you know, whatever. I'm not listening. And so they did everything they could to rid themselves of this headache named Jeremiah. And so what we find here in chapter 33, right in the heat of everything, he's been arrested. So Jeremiah is now locked up in chains in the courtyard of the guards is where we pick up our text. Now just imagine with me for a moment. Here he is. God comes to him in just that precise moment of brokenness, of this is a lost cause. I'm in chains. Here I am. I'm I'm hooked up to some, some stump in the ground. I can't walk away. I'm stuck here. All these people are laughing at me. This is worthless. This is a waste of my life, God. You're not answering my prayers. You're not doing anything I'm asking you to do. Ever been there? Yeah, I think, I think we have, right? And so here we find Jeremiah in this very moment, his head's down. I just imagine the scene, just feeling hopeless. And here God comes to him in chapter 33, lifts his hand under, puts his hand right underneath Jeremiah's chin and causes him to look up. And he says, call to me, son. Call to me. And so what he does next is he begins to unpack for us four powerful promises, four things I really want us to see to motivate us of why we should pray as his people, why we should be a praying church. And the first reason is this, because God is inviting us to pray. Sounds so simple, doesn't it? God is inviting us to pray. In verse number three, God chose to use the word call to me. That is a command, but it's also a sweet invitation. It's like a a father telling his son, whenever you get on your bike, son, and you ride, and if you fall off your bike and you scrape your knee, call to me. I'm listening for you. You call to me, and I will come to you, and I will answer you, is what he's saying here. It's this tender 
this tender view of God. So, but, in, but begin where the conversation actually starts in verse number two. Drop back to verse number two, and we'll get a fuller picture. What God does next, and what God does to get the conversation started, is he, he inevitably recalibrates Jeremiah's heart and his viewpoint from getting it off this, I'm in chains, this is a lost cause, I'm wasting my life perspective, to a perspective of, whoa, God, you, you are blowing my mind. You are truly, inevitably mighty indeed. So he starts in verse number two to make this become real. So he says this, thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it to establish it. The Lord is his name. So very carefully worded here. God is doing something very purposeful. He gets Jeremiah to take his eyes off in circumstance and put him directly on the sovereignty of God. Notice what he says. He uses three words here to describe who God is. Who is this God? Call to me? Okay, let me remind you, Jeremiah, who I am. Let me give you a quick snapshot. First, he says, I'm the one who made the earth. The Latin uh, view for this actually means uh, out of nothing, ex nihilo. Um, so it's this idea of God, he, he made it out of nothing. There's nothing in all of the universe. There was not even a particle. And God says, in the beginning, God said, what did he say? I don't even know what he said. What did he say? I forgot. I forget it. Anyway, God made it, okay? He made it happen out of nothing. Ex nihilo, from nothing or out of nothing, everything came into being. That's crazy talk. God did that. He's reminding him that this is, this is who I am. And then he says, he formed it. He's giving us a little bit more of an example of what he means by saying he made the earth. A different word meaning in Hebrew, he formed it. Let me ask you, what, how many of you guys like to play with Play-Doh as a kid? Anybody enjoyed that? Building things with Play-Doh? How many of you guys still enjoy Play-Doh? Come on now. All right, that's what I'm talking about. Um, my kids love Play-Doh. I try to play with Play-Doh, um, but they were so gracious when they made uh, Play-Doh become a big thing because they started making things that actually do the shaping for you. You just put it in there and squish it and it comes out looking really cool. Um, for people like me, I can't form anything. But this is exactly what God is saying he did to the world. In all of the universe, he made it. He, he actually shaped it. He formed it into its existence. So imagine, like, think about the bigness of God's hand in order to shape the, the world, the earth, just alone, to be able to form it and to shape it. That's how big God is. He's giving us a bigger perspective of who he is. Let me remind you of this. This is something that stood out to me as I was studying this text. A bigger view of God will lead to bigger faith in God. Did you hear that? It's true. The bigger my view of God is, the bigger my faith of God will become. So maybe you struggle with, you know, God's not really working, or maybe God's not helping me. Um, I don't feel like God's answering me. Maybe it's because you've gotten your eyes off of the bigness of God. You forgot who you're talking to, and you started putting it on this big circumstance in your life. And what God is saying is, let me recalibrate your heart. Let me remind you who I am. I formed the world out of nothing and gave it its shape. That's my hand. I did that. And then he goes on, he says, he established it. He established it. That basically means that he's the one who caused uh, it, brought order to it. He brought motion to the world. He's the one who set it in orbit. Such a cool thing. He's being very intentional here. He's trying to get us to remember or see who he is. Now, a good example of that, do you know God had the same conversation with a guy named Job? Another guy in the Old Testament. Let me read you this. In Job chapter 38, Job was in the same, a very similar situation, hopeless 
Nothing was going his way. He's struck with a medical condition that he can't fix. No matter how many times he prays, nothing's changing. It's frustrating. Where are you, God? Is where he was at. And God has this conversation, same thing, to recalibrate his heart, to recognize who he is, to give him a big view of himself. Verse, chapter 38 of Job and verse 4 says, Where were you, Job, when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it, gave it an equator? Or on what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstones? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy in that moment, when God said, let there be light, the angels in heaven erupted with praise. Verse 8. Or who shut in the sea with doors when it bursts out from the womb, when, when I made the clouds its garments and thick darkness its swaddling bands and prescribed limits for, for it and set bars and doors and said, thus far shall you come and no farther, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. I just love that. What a great image of God being carefully crafted, crafting of the world. And he said, look, the waves can't come any, any farther than this. And the storm clouds, you're going to do exactly what I want you. Twirl this way. And the earth is going to turn this way. And the, and the sun is going to follow the rotation and land just right there. All timed, all measured, all established by God. What's amazing is when I was a kid, um, I grew up in Florida. I used to love going to the beach. And I used to get tossed around by those waves as a little kid. Um, anybody ever been body surfing before? You know what that is. All right, body surfers. Okay, um, body surfing is when you just go in the ocean without a raft or anything, pretty dumb, and you go out there and you try to surf, and you just make a straight board with your body. When I was a kid, I was like five or six years old, I'm doing this out in the ocean, I'm getting rocked by these waves. Don't do that, just make sure you don't do that if you have a child in the room. Okay, uh, but I did, I did do that and experienced some incredible pain as a result. Getting out of the water, I used to get so frustrated. I'd be mad at the waves as, as if the waves were, you know, doing it to me on purpose. I'm just saying, you know, you punk wave, this is it. You, I, I'm gonna, and I'd start taunting the wave. Of course, the wave would go right back into the water. I used to think I was all that, man. That's right. I'm going to go back to the water where you came from as a five-year-old kid, right, taunting waves. But the truth is it's God. God's the one who's doing this. God is the one who established it and, and set its parameters. And he's reminding us this morning I am the one who did all of this. I made it, I formed it, and I established it. Go back to uh, Jeremiah 30, chapter, uh, 33, verse 2. I want you to see how he ends this in verse 2. He said, um, I made the earth, the Lord for, who formed it to establish it. The Lord is his name. Notice, you have a little dash in your Bible between the word it and the. Okay, God is making a very, very emphatic statement here, and I want you to understand what he's saying. When he says, the Lord, he mentions his name three times. You notice in your Bible, it's a capital L-O-R-D, Lord. That's the proper name of God. God is making sure that we understand what his name is, who it is that did this. Now, in the Hebrew, um, the name Lord is actually spelled like this on the screen behind me. It's actually spelled yod Hey vav Hey. This is a Yod all the way to the, you read Hebrew from right to left, yod Hey vav Hey. And there are just four consonants in the Hebrew alphabet. Nah, that's not so cool, right? But you know when we say God's name is Yahweh, what they're doing is we've inserted vowels to try to help us pronounce the name of God, what we see here. When Moses was talking to God, remember this conversation on the mountain, and Moses said, who is it that, who am I supposed to tell people that you are? And God says, this is my name, yod heh vav 
tell them that yod heh vav sent you. Okay, well, how do you say that name? That's kind of a weird name. So Hebrew people started inserting vowels so we can pronounce it easier. But do you know how to pronounce the name of God without inserting the vowels, but just to say the name the way that God wrote it? It would sound like this. Every time you take a deep breath, church, you are saying the name of God. You're proclaiming his name. You are hardwired to say God's name every time you take a breath. And God says, I'm the one who did that. Just take a breath and you say my name. In fact, he goes on. God's like, try to stop saying my name and you're going to cease to exist. You can't not say my name. Just take a deep breath. I'm the one who did that. And I did it for sheer entertainment. <laughs> I mean, come on. It's a, he, what he's doing is he's, he's showing us, I've got this. I'm in control. I am the one who's governing the world. I'm the one who's telling the sun to rise. And I'm the one who's in control of your life right now. I'm not lost in all of this. It's so encouraging for us to see. He's recalibrating our hearts to be mindful of He's in control. The Lord is his name. Just take a deep breath and remind yourself that God is in control. That's what he's doing here. Breathe. Just breathe, Jeremiah, and remember who I am. Now, let's continue. So this is an incredible invitation that God is giving him. The same God who created all of this, is so powerful, so almighty, none can stop saying his name. And what he's doing is, is, he's showing us how mighty he is. He said, come, this is me. Pray to me. Invite me into your circumstance, and I will listen to you. Such an incredible thought. The creator of the universe, the one who brought everything to existence, is listening to you when you're in the car praying to him. Or he's listening to you when when you're in the basement and nobody's around you and your tears are flowing because of the pain in your life. He's listening to you. That's the kind of God we're talking about. He is your father, and he's got a very bent ear to everything that's coming out of your mouth as you pray to him. He's listening. He is inviting us to pray. That's amazing. Now, the second thing I want you to see here is this. Why should we pray? First, because he's inviting us to pray. Second, because according to the text, he says he's going to answer us. He says, call to me, and I will answer you. Man, Amazing, amazing promise. It's clear. It's unambiguous. It's a promise that God will always answer our prayers. Hands up if you've ever been promised something before by somebody and they failed to deliver on the promise. You ever been there? Yeah, that's not God. Say say it. That's not God. That's not God. That's not who God. In fact, God always delivers on his promises. He always delivers. So encouraging. In fact, I want you to see this. Um, as you, as you hear me say things like this, that God will answer uh, you when you call to him, that's not something that I'm saying to try to be cute or clever. I'm just simply telling you, thus says the Lord. He said it, call to him, and he's going to answer you. Now, for some of us in here, that's kind of like me taking my nails and going down a chalkboard to you because you've been praying for some things for a very long time. Maybe a a lost relative to come to Christ or maybe a wayward child that's wandered from from home and they're distancing themselves like the nation of Israel to God. Or maybe you're struggling with an addiction that is so gripping on you, you can't shake it no matter how hard you try. And you're broken. You don't know what to do. I'm a believer, but I'm struggling with this. God, help me. God's not helping. Nothing's really happening. 
like I've been praying for this for years and nothing's happening. If that's you, I want to show you something about this particular part of scripture that I want you to really let sink into your heart. God will always answer your prayers. And he's going to answer your prayers in three ways. Now lean into this. He's going to answer your prayers first. He's going to always answer your prayers in his time. He's going to do it in his timing. Rarely does it happen in our timing. As frustrating as that is, right? Microwavable society we live in. Man, I love popping broccoli in a microwave, man. It's ready to go, five minutes. But you know, the truth is, God doesn't do it in our time. He doesn't answer us always in our time. It's kind of like my kids. We went to Washington, D.C. to visit my dad, um, and we traveled there at nighttime while the kids were sleeping. I've got three little kids, um, seven, five, and three, and it's a lot of energy uh, to sustain the, the livelihood of these three lovely children. And uh, so one of the things that we did on, on the way to um, D.C., we traveled at nighttime, make it a little easier for mom and dad. Mom smoked me, and I was driving by myself. Um, you know, she fell asleep. But anyway, um, we're driving, and you know, it's funny. Um, it was, we got there record time, and I don't think I was speeding. I, I don't know if I was, but I was kind of focused in the moment. And so we got there. I think I was speeding a little bit. Um, and we, <laughs> we finally get there. But on the way back, we decided, hey, it went so good the first time. Let's, the kids are excited about their gifts that they got from Nan and Papa, so let's, let's go ahead and um, let them just drive in the day. It will be easier for us. And so we started leaving around 10 o'clock. And no joke, I bet you can't guess the question. The number one question they kept repeatedly asking me over and over again was, are we there yet? Oh, my goodness. Are you kidding? It was cute at first, right? We were like 15 minutes down the road. Are we there yet? I mean, it's like 10-hour drive. No, sweetie, we're not there yet. We've got a little ways to go. Um, then an hour later, are we there yet? Then an hour and 15 minutes later, are we there yet? And so I'm sure I just want to turn around and throw chicken nuggets at him or something. Get me, we're not there yet. We're still in the car, for Pete's sake. Good night. But, but the truth is, I think sometimes we're like that. I think sometimes we're like that with God. At least I am. You know, God, I've been asking for you to do this for so long, and it's not happening. Are you even listening to me? I mean, are we even making any progress here? Is anything happening here? God, I've been. I'm just. I don't know. Maybe this is something that you don't really want uh, me to pray for. Maybe you've got a different plan in mind. And God says, No, 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 no. We're making progress here. Keep praying. We're moving forward, son. We're getting closer, son. We not, we're not where we were, but we're not there yet. So keep praying and trusting and believing I'm working in a great way. That's what he's saying here. In his time. Second thing, he's going to do it in his way. He will answer you, but he'll answer you in his way. And that's another thing. He, doesn't, he, he, doesn't, he rarely does things the way I ask him to at first, right? You know, I think I know what I want. I think I know. I mean, I, I've got to figure out at least some of these logistics and some of these things that have to happen in order for this to occur. So God, would you please work this out so that that can happen? You know, sometimes God will do it that way. Sometimes he won't. But he'll answer you. So keep praying. He will answer. In fact, um, sometimes the things that we think we really want, listen, sometimes the things we think we really want or the things we think we really need to happen in our lives. Maybe God has something better for us or has a better solution in mind than you can think of right now. And so it's like, God, you're not answering the prayer request that I thought you were going to answer in the way I thought you were going to answer it. But strangely enough, it's actually better. It's actually kind of cool. It's, it's a lot easier than what I was thinking it would be. That's the way God will do it. 
God will answer. He will always answer our prayer, just like the verse says. He's going to do it in his timing and in his way, and it's always better. The third thing I want you to see is it's going to, he's going to answer your prayer for his glory. His time, his way, for his glory. This is so good. Going back to this promised assurance that God is going to answer you, God will do that. And when he does, he will be the hero of the story. Rest assured, he will be the one that everybody knows it was a God thing. Only God could have restored this broken marriage. Only God could have brought my son back to the Lord. Or only God could have healed my addiction. It was an only God story. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to spotlight your situation in such a way where everybody knows God did it. God did it. It's an encouraging thing. He will do it for his glory. He is anxious to show off his glory, and he's going to do it through the most hopeless circumstances in our lives. So let's pray bold prayers. So with that, in fact, in mind, I want you to see this. Going back to whole bold prayers, we have a clear promise here that God's going to answer us. I want to encourage you. Start dreaming big dreams for God. Start praying bold prayers for God. But, you know, oftentimes when you hear people say that kind of thing, you know, you think to yourself, you know, you know God, God, God surely, he's great, he's good, he's awesome. Um, but I'm not going to, I don't really think I, I should pray those big, bold prayers because I'm not really convinced that God's going to do it for me. I mean, he may do it for Pastor Joe since Joe is, he's, you know, he needs more help than anybody else does. So maybe God will do it for Joe or, or maybe Maybe God will do it for the person sitting next to me at church because, man, they worship their face off and I'm not there yet. And maybe God just doesn't, he doesn't really care that much about me because I'm not like everybody else. Not true. Not true. That's not what the verse said. There's no caveat there. He said it very clearly. You call to me and I will answer you. It's personal. He's wanting you to pray to him. Pray big, audacious prayers. So let me press that a little bit more. What is it, what is it right now um, that is the impossible victory in your life? What is that impossible mountain that has to be moved in order for this to occur, something great to occur? Or what is it, what is the uh, hopeless circumstance in your life? This is never going to get fixed. This can't be fixed. Or maybe you're in this room right here and you're thinking, you know, I don't really have a hopeless situation or I don't really have a, um, uh, an impossible victory that needs to be conquered. I just, I'm just kind of living, I mean, it's pretty cool right now. Okay, if that's you, then what is your out-of-this-world dream that God can do with you for his glory? What, it just, what could God do with you, college student? doesn't have a dime to your name, you know, you don't have, have, you don't have a career, you don't have all these things. What could God do with me? Dream big dreams for God. Watch what God will do with you if you dream big dreams. This is a flat out, open wide invitation for everyone in this building for God to do something amazing in your life. It says do it. Pray bold and audacious prayers and God will answer. God will answer you. So good. All right, I want to show you. Keep going to the verse. Drop back. Look it down in verse 3 again. I want you to see this. He says, call to me. Now, there's a small little word here. I want, it's going to keep repeating. It's the word and. Notice what he says. Call to me and I will answer you. That's good enough right now for us to pack up and go home. That's a promise in the bank. I'm good to go. 
But he says, no, 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 I got more for you. God always has more for us. Call to me and I will answer you and I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. The deal keeps getting sweeter and sweeter. God's not done yet. Oh, this is so good. He goes on, he says, call to me, I'll answer you, and I will tell you. So the third, the third thing I want you to see in this passage of scripture is that we should pray because God will show us great things. God will show us great things. In fact, God wants to show us great things. I'm not trying to be a motivational speaker up here. I don't live in a van down by the river. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm simply bringing truth, truth, wide open truth. This is good. God is good. Listen to what he says. Now, why did I say God will show you great things? Why did I say that? What does that mean? Because look what the text says. He says, and I will tell you. It sounds kind of like you're making that up, Joe. Not really, because the actual Hebrew word for tell is the means to be conspicuously on display, clearly seen to everyone. So it's more of a show and tell. Like the New King James Version translates this word to show. God will show you great things. But I like keeping them both there. There's a show and a tell. God wants to show and tell us great things is what this text is saying. So we gotta pray. We gotta pray bold prayers. Gotta pray audacious prayers. Prayers that are impossible for it to happen. That's what God is inviting us to. Now I can remember, how many of you guys got something really cool for Christmas or maybe as a kid and you were just super pumped about it and you just couldn't wait to show and tell it off to everybody in the neighborhood? Anybody remember that? Something? Three people? Really, that's terrible. Okay. All right, well, I'm just an excited kid then. All right, I remember vividly, um, vividly, my, uh, my, my favorite gift of all. I was 16 years old, and um, my uncle had sold my dad um, a car that he was going to give to me for 1000 bucks. And, man, I was so excited. It was my very first car right here, man. Every teenager's dream, man. This is it. People dream over this type of thing. Anyway, this was a uh, Mercury, 1990 mind you, 1990 original Mercury Sable station wagon. Let me repeat, station wagon, all right? Very cool car, man. This was, I was so pumped about this car. I remember getting out, I was like, yes, I got plenty of room for all my friends, man. It's going to be awesome. So and I just remember, you know, trying to, trying to look cool in this car. I need all the help I can get, right? So I remember getting in the car, and I first got in the driver's seat, and I rolled the window, because it didn't have electronic windows, and I had to roll the window down, and it'd get jammed like halfway, and I had to press the thing down, and, and I'd be okay. And, and I remember trying to look cool by leaning the seat back, you know what I mean? I didn't want it to be too obvious, like I'm a new driver, you know? So I leaned the seat back, and I had a little, put a little toothpick in my mouth, looking cool, you know? So I'm driving this car, and every time, oh, I didn't even turn the stereo up a little bit, you know, because if you turn it too loud, then this, everyone would know the speakers were blown. So I didn't want to do that. Um, trying to go for cool here. And I remember uh, every time you drove the car over 45, I'm not making this up, I promise. If you try to drive the car over 45 miles an hour, it would shake out of control. <laughs> I used to tell people my hydraulics were kicking in. <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny. Anyway, ghetto days. All right, so I, uh, I just remember how excited I was, so excited that I got my own car. I mean, it looked like that, but I was so excited, though, nonetheless. And I remember in the same way, the same emotion, the same anticipation that I had to show off that car to my friends, it's almost like you can hear the same anticipation from God in this text. God is saying, call to me. Just just call out to me, and I will answer you, and I will show you. I'm going to stand over you with exciting anticipation. I'm going to blow your mind if you just ask me to do it. I want you to ask me and and depend on me. 
Believe that I can do it and just stand back, get your popcorn, big boy, because it's going to be a great show. I'm going to blow everybody around you away by my power to fix broken things. That's what he wants to do. He wants people to know that he's alive from the grave, and he wants to use us as a church to do it. But it'll never happen if we're not asking God to do great things. So don't be afraid to pray bold prayers. Don't be afraid to be audacious when you ask God to do miracles before you. Because that's the invitation that we're having right here. I will show you great things. And the verse continues, um, and he says, and I will show you hidden things. This is your fourth, fourth point I wanted to show and kind of highlight as a promise from God of why we should pray. God will show us hidden things. Mind you, it's this show and tell we're talking about here. And, you know, by the phrase that he uses here, hidden things, God is telling us that he's going to give us divine wisdom and insight to perceive things that God is doing actively in our lives. The implication is that as we pray these big, bold prayers, are going to come seasons of time when we, and it appears that God is really not doing anything. God's not answering my prayer, and so maybe I'm just kind of being ridiculous here. Maybe I'm praying too bold of prayers. I think I'll just stop praying those prayers. But God says, no, 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 no. I will give you insight and perception to see what only you, what only you can see if I help you. It's kind of like being in the, you ever heard the phrase, it's hard to see the forest from the trees? That's kind of what God's doing here. He's saying, when you're in the thick of it all, you can't always see how I'm working. You can't tell that I'm restoring your, your son's heart to me. You can't see that I'm healing your marriage when you're in the thick of it. But I promise you, keep praying to me and I'm answering. Going back to the illustration when I was traveling with my kids, like God, oftentimes, God, are we there yet? Are we there yet? It's almost like what God's telling us here is he turns around in the driver's seat of our lives and he hands us the GPS and he says, look, son, this is where we are. This is what I'm doing right now. I'm giving you the ability to see where we were and where we are and where we're going and we're closer than we've ever been before. God wants to give us that kind of insight. He wants to give us that vantage point from his point of view but he will give it to us only when we pray. We keep praying and asking God to do what only he can do. Please restore this situation. So here's Jeremiah feeling hopeless, but after hearing this, the scripture, the passage continues, and he just is lit up with motivation. Yes, God, yes. Look, God, all I have to do is go, and be reminded that every breath I take, you're the one who makes me say your name. You surely are in control of my situation, and I know that you're going to do glorious things to return the hearts of the people back to you in your time, in your way, for your glory. And he's going to do the same thing for us in this room. Pray. Let's pray. You know, I want to close up with this illustration, just kind of getting you to think about this. Um, we've talked about four very powerful promises uh, of God, of why we should be praying to him. And, you know, in short, I'll say this. I just want to get you to imagine. I want you to dream for a moment with me. What could, what could happen if you individually turned up the dial of your personal prayer life this morning? This is not just a sermon, another sermon on another Sunday, but this is something that you really want to take into your heart and let it grip your soul, go home and begin to get on your knees, having the right perspective of who God is, with a list, and begin to call out to him to do impossible things in your life. What would it look like if God did that? It would be great. 
He would do amazing things in your life. And he wants to do that. What would it look like if us as a church, we do this corporately, collectively. We gather together praying bold, audacious prayers that God will use our church to be a church planting church around the world? Like how is that possible? How can we do that? We're, we're on the south side of Indianapolis. We don't have that kind of ability. Only God can do it. That's what I'm talking about. Only God type prayers. You know, a lot of ways we're like a factory. As a church, we're a lot like a factory, if you think about it. Um, not like cogs in a machine, but what I mean is all of us are, you know, carrying weekly responsibilities. We're, trying, we're fulfilling the Great Commission, making disciples. That's what God's called us to. And we're all doing that individually. Some of you are ushering on a weekly basis. Some of you guys are involved in different ministries and service ministry opportunities. Great. But just like in a factory, um, there's another group of people that are, down, that are away and kind of isolated from the rest of the people. And what they're doing is they're shoveling coal into the furnace of the factory. And as they shovel this coal into the furnace, the reason why they're doing that is because, especially in winter months, as, as, as the work is being done, that factory needs to be warm so that the work can be completed. The people can be, you know, not worried and distracted by how cold it is, and the, the machines can function properly. But if those people down in the other room were to ever stop shoveling coal, the entire work in that factory would come to a screeching halt because it would be too cold to do the work. Church, that's exactly what's happening in our church. We've got to make sure we protect this. There's a whole other group of people that perhaps you had no clue were there, but they're in this room right over here called the prayer room, and the reason why they're in there is because they're praying bold and audacious prayers, believing God is gonna show up and literally walk down every row of this place as the word is proclaimed, and God is gonna grip hearts. God is gonna change lives. Addictions are gonna fall like chains. They're praying that. They believe God will do it. They're believing firmly in the power of prayer. You say, well, I want in on that, but I can't always be here at 8.15 in the morning to make that happen. But I want to be a believing person. I want to be that intense on seeking God out. You can. Go, do it in your living room before church on Sunday morning with your family. Or do it in the, in the night before. Or do it on Monday morning and, and beg God to do big things in your life and in this church. So grab your own shovel and pray because we have been given promises that are powerful, but it's only as powerful as we apply. Big prayers honor God, and God honors big prayers. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, just wanted to encourage you to seek the Lord with me about this very thing. God, we are a desperate people in need of you to do amazing things. God, we are asking, no, no, we're You've asked us, you've invited us to pray to you to do big and great and, and marvelous things, but God, we are now asking you to reveal your power through all of our lives. Everyone in this room has maybe some big dream that they want to pray or maybe some impossible victory that only you can fix, only you can accomplish. We sang a song today, God, about you giving us the victory through Christ. It's all past tense. Give us an eruption of faith in you, God. Help us to be a people that believe in the power of prayer, that we will be a praying church that sees the hand of God at work in a way that we've never imagined possible. God, will you go before us? Will you do marvelous things, we pray in Jesus' name.